The final message on work-related problems. Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8, verse 23 to 26. And this evening I'm going to preach on retirement. Numbers 8, verse 23 to 26. Work-related problems. Retirement. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you that we come this evening to an end, the end of a series. And I pray that the instruction we received would sink into our hearts and that our faith will be practical, that our Christian lives would not only touch so-called spiritual issues, but that we would realize our whole life is spiritual, our whole life is an obedient uh, life of obedience to Christ, a life of faith, a life of following Christ, a life of following Christ not only in during a worship service or during family devotions or during quiet time, but in the workplace and in the raising of our children and in marriage and in our business transactions and in going to the shop and in driving our cars and in all of life, that whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, that we would do all to the glory of God. And then also instruct us concerning the Bible's teaching on the subject of retirement and indeed revolutionize our thoughts because without realizing it, O oh Lord, we have been so influenced by the world, the world's way of thinking about retirement. Help us to give you glory in this regard. In Jesus' name, amen. So the world's idea of retirement is the American dream. It's, it's finishing your work or stopping work at the age of 65. And then being on holiday for the rest of your life and golfing and fishing and watching TV and reading books and traveling the world and touring uh, and so on. Play, playing with your grandkids and all of that. For instance, I w went on holiday many years ago. We were on holiday and we lived in a caravan park. It's a really at the resort, the site where the caravans are and the tents are. And there were chalets, and we lived in a chalet. And one person living in a caravan said, yes, they signed a contract for three years. Standing at this, the same spot, living in the holiday resort for three years, renting out their home in Pretoria and using the money to be on holiday, be on a vacation. And then they move to the next place, and they go to the Cape and spend their final years being on holiday. You even have young people who think that way. Young people, they want to get rich quick and then they want to retire when they're 45 or 50 years old. and They don't want to work for the rest of their lives. Just relax for the rest of your life. Let me give you some quotes. Uh, first quotes and then we're going to look at Bible verses to show this is simply not biblical. Thinking the way the world thinks about retirement. Jay Adams says, Retirement, when interpreted as cessation from work, stopping work, and a time to indulge in loafing and the sole pursuit of hobbies and sports and other self-interest, that kind of retirement is a non-Christian concept. John Piper says, Is there any biblical warrant for the modern Western assumption that old age or retirement years are to be years of coasting or easing up or playing? I'm not aware of such a principle in the Bible. 
Again, John Piper. Oh God, do not let me waste my final years. Don't let me buy the American dream of retirement. Month after month of leisure and play and hobbies and putzing around in the garage and rearranging the furniture and golfing and fishing and sitting and watching television. Lord, please have mercy on me. Spare me this curse. Unquote. Ralph Winter, also quoted in one of Piper's writings on this. He says, quote, Where in the Bible do you see retirement? Did Moses retire? Did Paul retire? Did Peter, John? Do military officers retire in the middle of a war? End quote. God's idea is that you would work until you have no more strength left. And then when you have no more strength to do the kind of work you're doing now, then you switch jobs. Then you do a different kind of work. And that's what we find in Numbers 8, verse 23 to 26. Let me read. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall come to do duty in the service of the tent of meeting. And from the age of 50 years, they shall withdraw from the duty of the service and serve no more. They minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping God, but they shall do no service. Thus shall you do to the Levites in assigning their duties. So first, first of all, we're going to look at the Levites' duties. Verse 23 and 24. When I was in my 20s, when I started at this church, Often, very often, I would work straight through the night. Not having to do night shift. I wasn't compelled to do that. And I wasn't forced to do that. But I did that regularly. I would work through the night. Now, now and then, I still have to work until midnight to get things done. But I very often, and much more, I prefer sleep. <laughs> Now, God knows young people have more energy than older people. And I'm not an old person, but I'm older than I was. I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm in my 40s now. But um, Proverbs 29 verse, or 20 verse 29 says that the glory of old men is their strength. They're strong. So these Levites, when they were younger, they could work harder. Verse 23 to 25. Says So they do service. From the age of 25, they start and they work till they're 50 years old. Now, who were the Levites? Well, as you can hear from the name, they were from the tribe of Levi. Levi was one of Jacob's 12 sons, one of the tribes of Israel. At least they didn't become a tribe ever because they took the place of the firstborn and became Levites, doing a kind of priestly service and holy service. Uh, the priests were also from the tribe of Levi, all of them. But they only came through the line of Aaron. So all priests were Levites. But all Levites weren't priests, if that makes sense. So the priests, what they did, they would bring sacrifices, they would pray for the people of Israel. And the Levites, they were the assistants. So the Levites were, they were subdivided into three groups. You had the Gershonites, the Merarites, and the Kohathites. So the Gersh and that you find in Numbers chapter 3. The Gershonites, they had two ox wagons pulled by four oxen, two oxen per ox wagon, 
And they had to, when the, the tent, the tabernacle was uh, broken up, and they would fold the curtains, and they would fold the, the material, they would fold the, um, what do I call it, the screening that screened off the tabernacle, you couldn't go in there. So fold that, and then um, the tent cords, they would fold up and so on, and they would put it on these wagons and transport it to the next location. And that's also Numbers 3 and Numbers 7. Numbers chapter 7. And then the Merarites, they had four ox wagons with eight oxen, two oxen per wagon. And they would transport the pillars and the footpieces where the pillars uh, rest on and tent pegs and tent cords and move it to the next location. And then the Kohathites, well, they had no ox wagon. No ox wagons because they had to carry the furniture of the tabernacle, the holy furniture. They had to carry it on foot and put these long staves or poles through rings that were mounted to the it was mounted to the furniture, and then they would carry it on their shoulders. Here's a good summary of the three subdivisions of these Levite tribes or groups. It's by Robert Murray McShane, an old Scottish preacher. The Kohathites upon their shoulder bear the holy vessels covered with all care. The Gershonites receive an easier charge, two wagons full of cords and curtains large. Merari's sons, four ponderous wagons load with boards and pillars of the house of God. Right, so the Levites, these three groups make up the Levites. They start serving when they're 25 years old. We read in verse 24. And then later on, they started their service at the age of 20 in the days of King David and in the days of Ezra. 1 Chronicles 23, verse 24 and 27, and Ezra 3, verse 8. And so what really happens is, so they 25 years old here, they start serving, and then for five years, they have to keep God. So they're not allowed to carry the furniture yet and pack that up and fold that up, but they are allowed to serve at the tabernacle and really try and prevent any unclean person from coming close to the tabernacle and desecrate it. Numbers 3, verse 6 to 8 and verse 28. So that's from the age of 25 and five years they stand guard. And then at the age of 30, they're allowed to start moving and working and packing up the holy furniture and the tabernacle itself and the curtains and the pillars and the tent pegs and all of that. And that's from Numbers 4 verse 3. So I think the age of 30, because, well, they're more responsible then, working with holy things, beginning your work at 30 rather than 20, working with holy furniture and all of that. Okay, so that first of all then is the Levite's service. Number two, we're going to look at the Levite's retirement. And then I'm going to draw applications from that. That's verse 25 and 26. Now, when you get older... You've got a lot of miles on your shoulders and your hips and your knees and your ankles and your neck and your back. Uh, you've done a lot more if you're 50 than a 20 year old has done. And so when you, when you go over the age of 50, 
Well, then this, it starts becoming more common to have back operations and neck operations and knee replacements and hip replacements and sh operations on your shoulders and so on. And so the same with the Levites. The Levites, their bodies are getting older. And so when they reach the age of 50, according to verse 25, it's time for retirement from that job because they had to carry, they had to load things. They had to carry furniture for kilometers, sometimes walking for a day, um, and, and loading pillars onto ox wagons and all of that. And so now their bodies are getting older. When you reach 50, God says, verse 25, it's time to retire. You withdraw from that service. You serve no more. And just think of that. In a world with they don't have the kind of medical help we have. They don't have knee replacements. So you can just think if you have this, like we've all had that. You, you have an injury when you're 30, and then it catches up with you when you're 60. And so they would have had the same kind of thing. So now today we don't retire at 50, but usually 55, 60, 63, 65. Um, now it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean you're useless after the age of 65 or 60. You're not useless. God doesn't throw you away just because your powers are beginning to, to, get, you're beginning to get weaker. And I don't think we should think that way about ourselves. Don't think, oh, now I'm useless, I'm 65. Or think that way of other people, they've retired, now they're useless. And many people in the world do that. It doesn't matter, you've given your life for that company. You've given your whole life in serving that church. But then very often when you retire, they forget all about you. God doesn't do that. God remembers you even after you've retired. God remembers you even when you're old. David, or it's not David, one of the psalmists, doesn't say the name, but Psalm 71. Verse 9, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Verse 18, so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, he prays. And God will not forsake you. He will not forget you. So you, you don't need to start worrying and start becoming all anxious because how am I going to survive when I'm retired? And Listen, I'm not saying you're not allowed to save up money. You can do that. My point is to say, even if you do have plans for the future, even if you do save up, don't trust in your plans. Don't trust in those things for the future. Trust in the Lord. God will take care of you even if you're retired. God will take care of you when you're old. Psalm 46, or not Psalm 46, Isaiah 46 verse 4, Even to your old age I am He. To gray hairs I will carry you. I've made you, I will bear you, I will carry you, and will save you. Psalm 37, verse 25, we read of the psalmist saying, I was young and now I'm old, and I've not yet seen, I've never yet seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Jesus taught us we should not be anxious for the day of tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough cares of its own. God will take care of you when you retire and when you're old. And then we should, look, we should really look further than our, the day of our retirement. Look further than the day when you are old. You should lay up treasures in heaven, Jesus taught us. Paul said, lay up for yourself a foundation in the future by sending money ahead, by helping the poor, by giving money to missions, by serving with the money God gives you. And what does it help? You have enough for retirement and you save up all this money and you lose it all when you die. What will it... 
Profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul. You lose your soul. Otherwise you like that man. He's retired now. Now I've gained enough. Now I've got enough money. I've built bigger barns and I've got plenty. Now I'll retire. I'll just sit and relax and eat and drink and be merry. You fool. You'll die this night. You'll be like the rich man. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man thinking of well, got all this stuff. And he just loses it because he dies and goes to hell. So you want to make sure you've got spiritual riches. You want to make sure you've found the spiritual pearl, the spiritual treasure in the field. How do you become spiritually rich? What, is it, what does it mean? Spiritual riches, it's, it's something that cannot be spent. It cannot become less. It cannot well, become empty and you've lost it all. It cannot happen. Spiritual riches... It's more valuable than all the riches of this world. And if you have this, then you'll live forever. And living forever is not this long, miserable life, the life of a billionaire. They always want more and more, and 10 billion is not enough. They don't want 20, and 20 is not enough. I want 100 billion, and it can never fill the void. It can never quench your spiritual thirst. These billionaires, they have everything. But all their money cannot buy them health, it cannot buy love, it cannot buy a good night's rest, it cannot buy peace and a quiet conscience and a pure conscience and a clean conscience and it cannot buy a happy family. But spiritual riches is different, it's different, something different. Spiritual riches, it's this life, it's a life full of peace and joy and happiness and love and thankfulness and goodness and caring for others. It's this life where, where we are in awe of something that is infinitely more valuable, infinitely better and greater than your little Rolls Royce and the Cullinan Diamond and your yacht and the most expensive homes in Ballet and Buckingham Palace and the Swiss Alps and this... Pacific Ocean and the Milky Way and billions of angels and the universe and everything in it. We're talking about something that has infinitely more value. It is much more awesome. And of course we're talking about Jesus Christ and the glory of Christ. We're talking about spiritual riches. Spiritual life that is to be found in Him because He is eternal life. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is eternal life. 1 John 1 verse 2. He is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5 verse 20. Knowing him is eternal life. And so look at these, look at these treasures that the world can offer you, offer you. Look at these, any treasure the world can offer you. It's just, it's it's done. It's done. It's rubbish. Receive Jesus by faith. And believe that his death on the cross is more valuable than all the riches of Singapore and Switzerland and Dubai and the whole universe. And because of his death on the cross, because of that death, he can forgive your sin. He can save you from hell. He can make you a new creature. He can give you heaven. He can be yours. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. 
And because he's yours, you receive everything with him, together with him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with us also graciously give us all things? Now, it's not that we want to abuse Christ's goodness. It's not that we want to abuse him. And, oh, let's get Jesus so we can get to the other stuff. That's the prosperity gospel. It's, it's, it's evil. It's detestable. It's abominable. It's hateful. Anybody, anybody who thinks that's way, that way, they don't understand how valuable Jesus is. That's like, that's like saying, oh, I desire the palace of the king. Because there's this one golden screw that is screwed into his bedroom door. I want that screw. That's why I want the palace. That is foolish. The palace is much more valuable than the single golden screw. And anyone who has Jesus knows Jesus is more valuable, much more valuable than anything he can give you. And so we, we're not after what Jesus can give us. We're after him. That's why we don't chase the American dream to retire in luxury. We are chasing something of infinitely more value. Much greater than just retiring in luxury. We are looking for something that will not end when we breathe our last. We are looking for something that will be complete when we die and it will continue forever. That is why you shouldn't cool down spiritually when you become older. Your love and your zeal for the Lord should increase, not decrease. You have more time than you did before you retired. And so, so use your retirement to know God better and to serve Him better. Use your life experience and your wisdom and the long way you've walked with the Lord. Use that to teach the next generation. Paul says that in Titus 2. Older women should teach the younger woman. That's what the Levites did. So they didn't need to do heavy duty anymore, verse 25. And yet they helped the younger Levites and they started teaching them. How do you, how do you guard the tabernacle? Verse 26. Minister to their brothers, the younger Levites, in the tent of meeting by keeping God. Showing them this, how, this is how you do it. This is how you honor God. This is how you say this place is sacred. So although you retire from your normal job, your day job, you're not completely inactive. All that's happened is you're working in a different way now, whether it's working in your garden, working in and around the house, giving extra time in serving in the, in the church, doing work at an old age home or work at a children's home. There's a lady in our church who does that. Serves at an old age home. And that's just, she chooses to use her time that way and she does it well. So don't stop when you're 65 and you sit on the veranda, you sit on the stoop all day and you're just going to rest for the rest of your life. I'm just going to sit around in the, in the rocking chair drinking coffee and I'm going to do this till I die. 
Don't do that. Keep yourself busy in doing things that God brings across your path. So what your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it to the best of your ability. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. And, and bear fruit for the Lord. Even when you're old, bear fruit for the Lord and tell the next generation of what the Lord has done in your life. And tell the next generation, teach them the ways of the Lord. Psalm 71. I read this just now. I just read, these, uh, read a, a part I didn't read. Psalm 71 verse 18. I read the first part that says, Even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Psalm 92 verse 14 and 15. They still bear fruit in old age, meaning believers. They are ever full of sap and green, to declare that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, there is no unrighteousness in him. Tell others of what the Lord has done. Teach them God's ways. So practically this means you do not stop in the service of the Lord when you retire. Moses started his service for the Lord when he was 80. And he served faithfully for 40 years. Until he died. So I don't have time for the argument that says and for church constitutions that say and policies that say, oh, when the pastor's 65, he has to retire. When the missionary's 65, he has to retire. He must stop serving. Why do you want to retire? Why retire if there's still fire in you? Why retire if you still have the ability to work? Joshua, when he was old, God said in Joshua 13, Joshua says, I am an old man now. And God says, you are old now and there's yet much land to conquer. You're not done, Joshua. Joshua 23, verse 1 and 2. Joshua is old and then he influences the next generation by teaching them. Caleb, he's 85 years old and he takes on giants. Joshua 14, verse 10 to 12. David, when he's old, 1 Chronicles 23, verse 1. And you read the rest of, the, of 1 Chronicles and the many things he still does as an old man. He's got a lot to do. He still organizes things, gets things ready for the temple, teaches people, and so on. Paul, he's an old man. He's getting on in years. And he says, I've just got one desire. I want to finish the course that Christ has set before me. And he does. When he's old and in prison, he's still writing letters and praying. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Fought the good fight. Martin Holt preached his last sermon five days before he died. Six days before he died. John MacArthur is, is over 80 years old now. He's still preaching every Sunday. Twice. On a Sunday, R.C. Chapman preached his last sermon a few or a short time before he turned 98 years old. I know a Baptist pastor in South Africa is 81 years old and he's still serving full time in pastoral ministry. Now someone might say, but what if you're spiritually worn out and you're really tired? Well, the solution is not to retire. The solution is those who wait on the Lord will renew their, renew their strength. But what if my body doesn't want to do it anymore? Well, God is not going to be angry at you because you don't have the strength anymore. And 
You can't work as hard as you used to and as much as you used to and you're working slower, but do what you can. Even if you're at an age your body won't work anymore, why not still write letters to missionaries and encourage them? Why not still send WhatsApps to other Christians with encouraging Christian messages and Bible verses? Why not still spend time in prayer? When Samuel was an old man, 1 Samuel 12 verse 2, Samuel said, it says he's an old man in verse 23, I will not cease to pray for you. Anna, she was a widow. She's over 84 years old. We don't know, was she a widow for 84 years? Or is she 84 years old? Nevertheless, she's an old woman and she spends her days in fasting and prayer. 1 Timothy 5 verse 5 speaks of widows spending their time in fasting and prayer. Paul writes letters. In Philemon verse 9 and 10, he says, I'm an old man. And he's writing letters. And 2 Timothy then his last letter and he's still writing. Encouraging a younger Christian. Edel Hulse, after he had a stroke and he's an old man, over 80 years old. I think almost in his mid-80s, if not over. And he's in a retirement home. And he can't work anymore, but he's praying and he's praying. And then if, if God gives you the ability, you're an old person and you've got financial ability, you're a rich person. Why not use your financial ability to support God's work? Like a man called Barzillai. In 2 Samuel 17, verse 27 to 29, and chapter 19, verse 32, you read of this man, he's 80 years old, and he uses his riches to support King David when he had to flee from his son Absalom. The point I'm trying to make is, you have not yet reached the finished line simply because you've, you're now 65 years old. You must use your gifts and your experience and your abilities to honor God, to glorify God, till the day you die. And then you continue doing so forever and ever. Now this doesn't mean God is against rest. In the Old Testament, God gave the Sabbath day. One day a week they could rest and had to rest. And then there were uh, six feasts every year. And at each feast there were Sabbaths. So there's rejoicing, it's a holiday, and then resting and relaxing and then once every seven years the land has to rest no plowing no planting no harvesting so you rest and the land rests a sabbatical and then every 49 years the year of jubilee and then the new testament the same you've got this principle of rest jesus tells the disciples to come aside to rest a while mark 6 verse 31 so that's what God wants. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to rest. That's good. It's good. It's good to work hard. It's good to rest. But if you say, now I'm only going to rest because I'm 65 and I'm going to rest for the last 15 years and do no more work, that is unbiblical. So don't buy the world's way. Don't buy into the world's way of retirement. You should rather reapply and say, I'm here for further service, for higher duties. And you serve the Lord. Even though you're not working your day job anymore. You serve the Lord and you keep on serving Him and working hard in that till the day you die. So don't be like the couple of whom John Piper writes, 
This was in the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest. Uh, and in the Reader's Digest, he, Piper says he read of this 51-year-old woman and the husband's 59, and so they retire. They retire in Punta Gorda in Florida. It's a, a place I checked on the internet. You've got all these homes almost built like on an island, but you've got canals, uh, canals in between, and everyone's got his own boat. And so they've got this 30-foot trawler, 10-meter-long trawler kind of boat, and uh, they play softball all day, or they're on the trawler, and they just relax, and uh, reading books, and doing all kinds of stuff, and man, and, and John Piper writes his conclusion on this, he says, picture them, that couple, before Christ at the great day of judgment, because they also say, yes, they just pick up seashells all day, he says, picture them on, before Christ at the great day of judgment, look, Lord, see my shells, that is a tragedy, Piper says. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace, to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Why not rather live according to the wisdom of C.T. Studd's little poem? It's actually part of a much longer poem. Why not live according to this wisdom that says, quote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please would you help us, your people, to serve to the end of our days, to serve till we breathe our last and then to continue serving forever and ever with joy and gladness and delight in the service of our Savior. We pray this for His sake and to His glory. Amen.